The Eastern Oklahoma Catholic Podcast is brought to you by the Office of Communications at the Diocese of Tulsa and Eastern Oklahoma. I think my favorite saint is Pope John Paul II. Mm -hmm. Uh, So 1978, I was 18, and I was not really very attentive to faith at the age of 18. So he was elected, and I didn't really... Yeah, I didn't know much about that. I'm not sure I even knew that that he was. Uh, I went to mass, but that was about it. I was mostly just working, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until I was 23, so five years later, that it really clicked for me that, hey, wait a minute, this is all real stuff. Yeah, and I really do believe it, and therefore, I ought to live it. I ought to do more than just go to Mass, I ought to live my life as someone who wants to serve Jesus. Welcome to Tulsa Time with Bishop Condola. I'm Adam Minahan, Director of Communications for the Diocese of Tulsa in Eastern Oklahoma. We're so glad you're here as we talk all things Catholic happening here in Eastern Oklahoma. Uh, last week we talked about Halloween. We talked about uh, Bishop dressing up as a pirate, as a cowboy, uh, being the hub of the spot for in his neighborhood with twelve different kids. So he's always that, that ha- his house was always the spot to be at Halloween. Uh, but we also talked about like what is Halloween. We talked about uh, how Halloween is actually the eve of All Hallows, mm-hmm. meaning All Holy, meaning that it's a Catholic. It is a Catholic um, holiday. All the Hallows. All the all Hallows. The Bring all the Halloween together. Yes. And here's, so here's what we'll read on. We were talking about that, and then we were talking about All Saints. Right. It's the eve of. All All saints. That's That's why it's a famous day is because it's the eve of something, a Catholic uh, uh, solemnity. And on that day, we're going to read from the book of of, um, Revelation about the hallowed ones. All the angels stood around the throne. Let's see. Uh, After this, I had a great vision of a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation, race, people, and tongue. They stood before the throne and before the Lamb, wearing white robes. Remember, we give out white robes at baptism. That's Mm -hmm. why. Mm -hmm. Bring this garment uh, that you wear unstained into the everlasting life of heaven. And holding palm branches in their hands, they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation comes from our God who is seated on the throne and from the Lamb. And then the angels were standing around the throne, also prostrating themselves before the throne. One of the elders spoke up and said to me, Who are these wearing white robes, and where did they come from? Uh, he said, These are the ones who have survived the time of great distress. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So that's what uh, All Saints Day is all about, is recognizing and remembering that we are promised by God, who we trust, uh, to have eternal life with him if we choose him, if we choose to live our lives for him and to be with him. 
And on All Saints Day, we celebrate all those who have done that. Um, both the canonized saints on All Saints Day, we're really talking about the canonized saints. But as we said last week, there's plenty who are uh, saints but not canonized, not known. Um, and all of us hope to be such. That's right. And uh, so uh, we'll have solemnity, a day of obligation for Mass on that day. And um, people can go to church. I typically each year I celebrate the school mass at All Saints, Saints School, and so um, so that's where I'll be with the kids, and they'll they'll be feeling have sore tummies from all the candy. They yeah, they'll be at a huge crash. Everybody will be kind of like hanging on the pews and just like <laughs> sugar crash. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's. Um, that's our All Saints Day. Now, the saints are the people that we also uh, ask to intercede for us. Uh, we believe that the communion that exists between you and me, for example, right now, that the, the communion that exists between the living does not evaporate at death, uh, but rather that we can ask someone to pray for us, whether they're here standing in front of us, or whether they have died and gone to heaven, uh, we can ask them uh, to pray for us there too. We're recommended to do so in the scriptures. This is a point of confusion for some people who are not Catholic and who imagine this is somehow some kind of superstitious activity, but because of the reality of this communion that exists between all those who are in God, living in God on earth, or already with God in the life of heaven, uh, because that communion does not disappear, we use it. We, we can make use of it and ask them to pray for us. Yeah, what and I, I get, I've heard before, you know, that it all distracts from 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 Jesus. Like that, we just need Jesus. Like why why do we even pray to the saints? Like this mm -hmm. is just pray to Jesus, you know. And mm -hmm. um, what are your thoughts when when you hear something like that? Well, my first thought would be that Jesus is the one who gave us to each other. Uh, it's in Jesus, and because of Jesus, because of what he does for us as our Savior, that we have this communion and this possibility to continue to uh, have life and communion relationship with people who have died and are with him. So I don't think it detracts at all. A person... Uh, you know, presumably someone could be so exaggeratedly attached to some particular saint that that's all they ever thought about. Even in such a case, they wouldn't be doing something that was theologically wrong because the saint is only a saint because of Jesus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but uh, remembering that the Lord is who our Savior is, is our Savior not someone else, and yet because of him, and really in a sense it honors him to call on the prayers of people who he has saved and made holy. Yeah, so I don't think there's a there's a real argument there. Yeah, because I mean, like in times of trouble, there's a lot of times where I will call my mom and ask her to pray for me. Like mm -hmm. She's a holy woman. So it's like, you know, the prayers of a righteous are, are, are just, you know, like mm -hmm. um, she's a holy woman. And so I ask her for her prayers. 
Now, my mom is still here on this earth. Um, and all those who are in heaven, there's no, no impurity in heaven. Mm-hmm. There's only, there's only, you know, there's no attachments to sin. There's no, there's nothing unclean that enters heaven. We know that. Mm-hmm. And so similar to how I ask my mom to pray for me or pray for my children or, or wife or whoever else, uh, we could ask, you know, the blessed mother to pray for us mm-hmm. who's up in heaven with spotless. You know, and and lifting those prayers up to her son, everything is oriented back to her to to, to Jesus. Kind of like what you were saying, right? Is that everything is oriented back to well, Christ? Well, when, when we say that we ask a saint to intercede for us, who are they interceding to? Right, that exactly right. So, uh, someone who was not Catholic and thought that this was blasphemous or somehow wrong to do. If Catholics were praying to saints because we thought the saint had some power, uh, yes, that would be uh, blasphemous, idolatrous, and so forth. But to ask a saint, a departed uh, disciple of the Lord, to intercede for us to the Lord, I mean, it would be the same, uh, you know, we ask Joan to pray for us because we know Joan has power. No. Right. We ask Joan to pray for us, which means we're asking Joan to pray to the Lord for us, and that honors him. That doesn't take away from him. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we're doing this, we're, we're, we have All Saints Day. This is the 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 saints triumphant, you know, the, the church triumphant, those who, are, who have been canonized by the church to say we can have a surety these people are in heaven. Mm-hmm. The reason why the church does that, though, is that— for us to be able to uh, not maybe not imitate, but at least uh, look at and say like this is this is worthy of Im- or maybe imitation. No, I think imitate. Yeah, they model heroic holiness. Uh-huh. What is heroic holiness? Heroic holiness is attachment to Jesus, mm-hmm. a person who loves the Lord and attaches himself to Him and His church because that's His body, and does that heroically throughout their life, many of them martyrs, for example, so Mm -hmm. they prefer attachment to him over their own physical life. Uh, They're willing to suffer and die for him. Many others not martyrs, but uh, nonetheless face difficulties in life and are never shaken away from their faith in him and their love for him and their desire to be with him in, in heaven. Uh, that's the saint. That's what heroic holiness means and looks like. Uh, when a person is canonized as a saint, the church does a very in-depth investigation into the person's life, and that's what they're looking for, mm-hmm. is precisely, A, uh, are they heroically holy, heroically attached to Jesus as Savior? B, are they correct in their understanding of who Jesus is, what Jesus represents, what the church is, what the church is for, and so on and so forth. Uh, And then the church is also looking for a sign from heaven in the form of a miracle, Uh, some kind of miraculous happening because of that saint's intercession. Uh, An example that came from our own um, hospital here uh, St. Francis Hospital, uh, some years ago, we had a, a young boy who came into the hospital. The family was not Catholic. The boy had a cancer in the brain. 
the hospital did surgery, having first prepared the family for bad outcome because the the prognosis was not good, and it was it was uh, highly unlikely. Well, it was unlikely that the child might even survive the surgery because the surgery was so severe, and it was highly unlikely that the child would have uh, continued, you know, sense and and uh, brain function and so forth. And yet, some number of days after the surgery, the child went home uh, healthy and whole. Hmm. The miracle was was based on the intercession of uh, Mary Catherine Macaulay, who is the founder of the Religious Sisters of Mercy, the foundress. Two of the sisters asked the family if they could ask for Mary Catherine Macaulay to intercede for this young boy. The family said, yes, please, by all means. Mm -hmm. Uh, The sisters did ask for those prayers, and then there was this miraculous outcome. Miraculous means that the medical people involved understood that the surgery is what removed the tumor, but what they couldn't account for was the outcome. So it wasn't saying that somehow the tumor miraculously disappeared. It was saying the tumor disappeared, but the outcome after that kind of surgery was beyond what they could medically explain. That's what the miracle means and what it looks like. Uh, in that case. Uh, All of that was investigated, and we sent a formal canonical investigation off to the congregation in Rome, and now we're waiting to to hear back from them. So that's an example of what we mean when we say the cause of a saint, the... the, um, when we say that we're looking for a miracle. Right now with Stanley Rother, for example, he is beatified. That's the first step along the journey of canonization of a saint. Stanley is beatified based on his heroic death. He died for the name of Christ mm-hmm. because of hatred of the faith. Uh, and so we can beatify him just based on that. But in order to canonize him, there needs to also be a miracle. So now we're asking his intercession over people uh, who need uh, prayers, hoping that a miracle would present itself. The miracle is always based in the power of Christ. It's not the saint who has power, mm-hmm. but the saint intercedes and Christ fulfills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the disciples would bring people to Jesus. Please, Lord, would you heal this person? Jesus would heal the person. Well, the person who brought him mm-hmm play some part. Jesus lets them play some part in the healing of that person. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of thing. Now, yeah, the the church is always like, or the church now has this very formal process, you know, of canonization. It hasn't always had that process. Um, I found out recently, you know, we had uh, St. Francis of Assisi's feast day. He was like, I think the first, if not, or, or the earliest or, or possibly one of the earliest uh, saints to be canonized after his death. Oh, okay. Only like 13 years after his death, he was canonized. Yeah. Which is pretty crazy because normally it's, they wait a couple hundred years before, you know. Uh, well, you mean back then. Back then, yeah, right. Yeah, because right. uh, John Paul was five. Right, right, right. Yeah, so they they opened it up 
Uh, Mother Teresa may have been less than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. possibly. Yeah. But I mean, but for, to actually a canonized saint, you know, mm -hmm. from death to canonized saint. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, yeah. So I think it's really, really cool how the church gives us these these gifts, really, because right, because the, the, the church in her wisdom uh, gives us these these gifts to the to get us to merit, you know, um, uh, the, the prayers in which their actions to merit. To, to, to bring us closer to our Lord. Well, Mary Catherine McCauley is a person who saw that the, the poor needed additional help, education, uh, a way to prepare to make a living in life and so forth. And so she uh, began to create um, uh, institutions that could help people in that time and place. So. It's not just because she's some famous person. It's not because mm -hmm. she prays a rosary or something. It's because she does something that is, that demonstrates a heroic holiness. Mm -hmm. The martyrs are people who give their lives for someone. Uh, um, Saint Francis is a person who received a revelation from the Lord to rebuild his church, and who at first misunderstood what it meant and thought it meant just literally this little church building that's falling down, the walls are falling apart, began to rebuild that. But then through his holiness and his attention to Jesus and his love of the Lord, began to form a group around him that were living as mendicants, as people who depended on other people to uh, give them alms uh, so that they could focus on preaching on uh, teaching people about the life in Christ and so forth. Uh, those are the things that make St. Francis holy. He was recognized by the people of his time mm -hmm. as being a holy man. He spent some number of years in a cave so that he could focus his attention on God. Well, that's a kind of a heroic uh, way of life. And so for that, he uh, was recognized at the time and then they wanted him to be recognized as a saint, and so they started what today we call a cause mm -hmm. for his canonization. And then, as you say, he was quickly canonized. Uh, so all of that is what All Saints is about. The focus is on the Lord's work in the lives of the saints. The next day is All Souls Day, and on All Souls Day, we're remembering all of those who died in the Lord many of whom are saints, meaning we know that they're in heaven, mm -hmm. we believe that they're in heaven, but they weren't canonized. Mm -hmm. uh, there wasn't a cause for their canonization. Uh, there are loved ones who have died and who uh, put their faith and hope and trust in Christ. On All Souls Day, a, a, a typical... Um, tradition is at the cemeteries. That's right, yeah. To go to the graves of our loved ones and to say prayers for them there. Uh, we're going to have two different masses on All Souls Day at Mount Calvary. Do we Cal call it Mount Calvary? Yeah, Cal Calvary Cemetery. Calvary Cemetery. Yeah. Um, one at noon, I think. Uh, that one is in English. Let me Let me verify this and make sure I'm not leading the people astray here. Uh, no, the Mass at noon is in Spanish, and then at 3 p.m. there's a Mass at the cemetery in English. 
So that's a wonderful way for people to go and to continue to do a corporal work of mercy, mm-hmm. to pray for the dead, uh, and to to recall fondly the lives of those that we've loved and lost. Yeah, and I think you even get a a, a plenary indulgence, a potential possibility, a, of a potential mm-hmm. indulgence for doing so. One of the really interesting things that we do as a family on All Souls Day is we we go to the cemetery and uh, the kids, we all get our rosaries out and. Each we go start at one tombstone that we I mean we don't know who they, that person oh, okay. is, and that's the first the, our father, and then we go to the next one for the Hail Mary, and we go ten down, and then that ends that decade. Mm. And it's interesting to watch our kids because uh, each after each Hail Mary, they're like, "Well, who's this guy? Uh-huh. You know, you know how, how how old how old was this person? You know, and um, it really does help you remember that we're all going to die. We're all not going to make it, make, make it out of here alive, you know? Um, and, but it's a beautiful thing because they want to know about that person. They they pray for that person. Yeah. Yeah. You're building into their minds at an early age, the, the, uh, comforting really, I suppose is, is probably a feeling that they have this sense of, uh, my parents are here with us. And these are people we don't know, but we know that we love them because uh, God tells us to love one another. And so we can pray for them. There's something we can do for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a wonderful thing to build into them. Yeah. So uh, before we end here, I want to ask you about like, some of your favorite saints. You know, They say that you're the, the average or the sum of the five people that you hang out with the most like here on earth. And I think that your spiritual life somewhat may reflect the same thing, right? You're, you're maybe the, the average or the sum of the five saints that you pray to and ask for their intercession, but mm-hmm. like, kind of gives a little uh, sneak peek into your into the spirituality of, of, uh, of you. And so I'm just curious on some of, maybe some of your favorite saints. Uh, I think my favorite saint is Pope John Paul II. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 1978, I was 18, and I was not really very attentive to faith at the age of 18. So he was elected, and I didn't really yeah. I didn't know much about that. I'm not sure I even knew that, that he was. Uh, I went to Mass, but that was about it. I was mostly just working. Mm-hmm. And... It wasn't until I was 23, so five years later, that it really clicked for me that, hey, wait a minute, this is all real stuff. Yeah. And I really do believe it, and therefore, I ought to live it. I ought to do more than just go to Mass. I ought to live my life as someone who wants to serve Jesus. That marked the transition of my life. My life really goes from zero to 23, and then 23, everything after it. Uh, so then I come to know John Paul more in seminary, mm-hmm. and uh, I was ordained in 95, so I even had him, what, uh, did he die in 05? Is that mm-hmm. what it was? 05. Mm-hmm. Um, 10 years, you know, even the first 10 years of my priesthood. And it's just that his writings were so rich and so helpful as a young priest, reading the things that he wrote, the things that he, his uh, Holy Thursday uh, messages to priests and so forth, all of that was also helpful. But um, another saint who, who sometimes it's hard for me to decide who's my favorite saint uh, is St. Bernard. 
And uh, the reason for that is simply because while I was in seminary, I had developed a real fascination with monasticism. And I was particularly drawn to the Trappists. And Trappists are a reform of the Cistercian order. And St. Bernard is one of the founders of the Cistercian uh, order of monasticism. The Cistercians were a reform of the Benedictines, and so you, you have that in monastic life. Uh, but St. Bernard, again, his writings are beautiful and instructive, but in a sense, it's what he represents, that whole long tradition and history of monasticism with its absolute attention and focus on God. Um, in a poem that um, Thomas Merton wrote, one of the lines, uh, it talks about these monks and nuns living in their monasteries, um, uh, the, you know, rooting their lives in silent uh, watching and anticipation for the first far-off drums of Christ the Conqueror. That's the line. And I thought, oh, wow, that is such a, an amazing line. Hmm. Uh, I spent some time discerning uh, life at Gethsemane Monastery in Kentucky. And the gate into the cloister, the, the area of the monastery where the monks live that's basically private, mm -hmm. the gate over that gate is a lintel, and it simply says, God alone. And that, those two words simply defines their life. What are we here for? To live for God alone, to, to pledge our lives to coming into communion with God. So uh, Saint Bernard is also a, you know, one of my yeah, one of my favorite saints. One of the the, the highlight for me of the trip. Uh, when when you become a bishop, you go to a about a two week set of workshops in Rome for new bishops, hmm. which we dubbed Baby Bishop School. And since I was coming from the Aggies in my previous assignment before becoming a bishop, they have fish camp. And so fish is for the freshmen, the retreat for the freshmen. So we called it Bish Camp for me. <laughs> so I was going to Bish Camp. And um, that's 2016. I hadn't been in Rome since 1989. From 1989 to 2016, I had not been in Rome. So I missed all of John Paul's funeral, the last years of his life, the funeral, and so forth. Uh, so for me, the highlight of that trip was to actually be able to be in St. Peter's and visit his tomb mm -hmm. and to thank him and to say a prayer at the tomb and to ask him to intercede for me. Uh, so that was all very powerful. And here you are as a bishop. Here we are. <laughs> here we are. That's right. Well, good. Anything else? Any any last thoughts on on All Souls Day? Um, I think one of the things that we try to do, uh, a tradition that may have kind of gone forgotten about but you know at the end of uh praying grace before meals uh you can end meals with saying may all the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of god rest in peace sure. you know and praying for those you know make that a habit in your family life and in your spiritual life to just be praying for those people and especially those people in purgatory your family friends and loved ones i i have a something that i try to do i, I pray for all my family members that may be in purgatory from you know 
as early all the way back to the line of Adam. Mm -hmm. So any family member of mine from from now into all the way back to the line of Adam. So hopefully it covers a lot of people, you know. <laughs> and so but, now you've opened a big can that we'll have to unpack sometime. Purgatory. <laughs> yeah, that'll be a good. That'll, that'll be a fun one though. Yeah. You know, Carlo Broussard wrote a book on it. Oh right, uh, right. On, uh, is purgatory for real? So yeah. Um, we'll maybe have him on. Have him on, yeah, yeah. And, and talk about purgatory. Yeah. But uh, any last thoughts or anything you learned? Well, I think uh, I hope people enjoy All Saints Day and uh, come to Mass to celebrate the saints. And then on All Souls Day, if you can visit uh, a loved one in the cemetery or just at least pray for the souls of the faithful departed, that'd be a great day. Awesome. Well, you've been listening to Tulsa Time with Bishop Condon. Be sure to leave us a review or, or send us an email. Let us know what you'd like to hear from us. And maybe we could talk about uh, some topic that you guys are interested in. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. The Eastern Oklahoma Catholic Podcast can be found on your favorite streaming platform, including Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and Spotify. 